Let's open our Bibles to the book of James, the first chapter. James chapter 1. We have given you an outline for the book. Patience through tribulation, verses 2 through 4. If you don't have these copied down, we'd like them. I'll keep repeating them. Wisdom through prayer, verses 5 through 8. Riches through poverty, verses 9 through 11. Sin through lust and lure, verses 13 and 14. And death through sin, verses 15 through 17. Actually, verse 16 and 17 have to do with kind of a connection between the next section. So you might say death through sin includes some more thoughts that we have not dealt with, and even God's gifts that we'll speak of in verse 17. And then life through the word, verses 18 through 20. And blessing through doing, verses 21 through 27. So this last two sec- these last two sections, life through the word and blessing through doing is what we'll deal with tonight. However, I want to drop back and pick up verse 16 and 17, which has to do with a kind of a, you might say a parenthesis, or it could be attached to what goes before or what comes after, because it's all knitly woven together here. So we'll see that as we begin to deal with it, and we'll use that for kind of an introduction to the message. But the last two thoughts will be life through the Word, and that's verses 18 through 20, and blessing through doing. So let's pick up with verse 16 now and 17 to get started on the subject. It says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. To err means to miss the mark, to not uh, go in the right direction to shoot in the wrong way, to not hit the target. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now then, when you look at this verse, you might say, well, what connection does it have to do with the previous verses or that coming after? I would say that it does have a connection, but I'm just going to deal with the verse itself to show you what is here. First of all, we don't want to miss the mark on anything, do we? And then, uh, secondly, we need to recognize that every good gift, and it means the act of giving, Brother Randy um, mentioned this one night as well, uh, and the perfect gift is the gift itself. But the act of giving, every good gift, God is in the business of acting good in his giving and doing good in his giving. And what he gives, he gives from the right from the standpoint of our need and gifts to help us. So his actions in giving are to be considered, and then the gift itself that he gives to us is very precious. And it says every good gift, that means the act of giving, and every perfect gift, the gift itself, cometh down, is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights. Now, if it comes from the Father of lights, the Bible said that we read in 1 John this morning that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You know, as light increases, it increases, it expels darkness, doesn't it? You know, that's, that's what happens. We, we find the light increasing, and then the darkness disappears. Where's the darkness now? You walk in this church, even the artificial lights, the man-made lights, temporary lights, let alone. So you walk in this church without turning the lights on, and it's dark, isn't it? Turn out all the lights and see what it is. And then, but when you turn the lights on, the light dispels that darkness. Where's the darkness? It's still here. It really is here. But the light's here too. 
And so God is light and in him no, is no darkness at all. And every good gift comes from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. He is no respecter of persons. He does not vary. He is steadfast. He is true in his giving and neither shadow of turning. When he gives us something, it's for our good and for uh, his glory. Now then, we come to these last two thoughts of this chapter. Life through the word and blessing through doing. And we'll try to teach this and look into it very specifically. Verse 18 says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, of his own will. We're talking about being begotten through the word, or life was given is given to us through the word. The new birth, new life, or regeneration, begat, being begotten. Is to be born, right? He begat us with the word of truth. The word of truth is the instrument of that begetting. How were you born? You were born by that incorruptible word. In in First uh, Peter chapter one, it says this in verse twenty three: being born again, not of corruptible seed. So something that's born has to be born or made alive of some kind of seed. And it says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Now look. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So when you're born again, you're born of incorruptible seed. That's what Jesus said. You must be born again or born from above. And when you're born from above, you're born of incorruptible seed of the word of God. You have to hear the word and believe the gospel to be born again. And in doing so, this birth that you have is not of a human nature, not of a natural nature and a natural order, but of an incorruptible order. You see, that's why we cannot explain uh, too much the new birth. It's, it's a mystery, isn't it? It's a very deep mystery to be born in, in a spiritual way of incorruptible seed, and yet it's just as true as something some seed growing and, and bringing forth life. You know, the mystery of begetting life itself from this, from seed that's planted in the ground is a mystery to biologists and scientists. And you know, no one can really explain. Can anyone explain how a seed of wheat or grain or something, just an old dried up seed that could lay on this pulpit probably for a thousand years if it never was moved or blown off or fall off or got into got any moisture or anything, it could just lay there dry and it'd still be there. I don't know how long it would last, but a grain of wheat might last a long time. But when that same seed is put in the ground and it meets the moisture of the earth and the sun warms the earth in the way that God does it, and that seed actually dies and begins to rot, it brings forth and begets life. And the grain comes up, and men do not understand that. It's a mystery to scientists, it's a mystery to biologists, it's a mystery to, to any and everyone how that that can happen. And yet it does happen. And it happens all the time. It happens all around us. In flowers and grass and whatever. Things have seed. You know, you can throw it all over the dry ground and it'll blow here and there. And finally, it might disappear and just blow away like chaff. But if it ever goes into the earth 
and it's planted or and there's enough ground around it and begins to germinate, begins to rot, begins to decay. Through decaying, it brings life. Through death, it brings life. Now then, uh, we're not born of that which is dead. We're born of a living word. But it says, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. And, and we're regenerated and born again of a living word, of the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And that word of God is the seed that's sown. So if something can be brought to life through a dead seed or through seed that's planted that has to die, certainly through a living word of God, it can produce life. And it does produce life. You know, you could read a, a lot of passages of Scripture in relation to this, but we know that the Bible teaches that it's uh, through the Word and the ministry of the Word that people are born again. Uh, we call this regeneration, renewing of life. Do you know there's only two times in the Bible that the word regeneration is used? And one is talking about a new order of life during the millennium, that is, in the future, and the other is a new creation in Christ Jesus, that is now, when people are born again. Only two times in the Bible. I'll give you two places. One of them is Matthew, Matthew uh, chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. This is the first place it's used in the whole Bible. We're talking about you take a Strong's Concordance and you look up regeneration, there's only two places. You'll find it in the whole Bible. And it refers to new life and new order. Here it refers to the new order. In verse 28 of the millennium, it says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory in the future. See that? Matthew 19, verse 28. Uh, ye, ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In other words, when I come back again, and I set up a new gener regenerated earth, a renewed earth, and in the millennium, you that have followed me in the regeneration, not you that are born again, you that will be with me in that new order, then I'm going to let you sit upon the twelve tribes. Now then, we know that we need to be regenerated or be born again. And he wasn't talking to the disciples here about uh, you have to follow me of being uh, in the regeneration, well, Jesus didn't need to be regenerated anyway. He didn't need a new birth, did he? So they didn't have to follow him in that way. That's no way to follow Jesus. So it's following him when that new order of things come. He will set up his kingdom, and in the millennium they would sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, is what he said, the apostles. And the only other place you find it is the book of Titus. Look in the book of Titus. It's... Uh, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus before you get to Hebrews. Titus, Philemon, and Hebrews. So let's look at Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Look at this. It says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. In other words, here's a new divine life that is given. Regeneration referring to the new birth or new life. So it refers to the new order in the millennium and it refers here to the new life. And so that's what it's uh, talking about when it says of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. 
that we are begotten through the living word of truth, the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, and we're renewed to new life, spiritual life, and regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. He gives us the Holy Spirit. So we have divine life given to us. And by the way, if you'll notice, the, the Scripture teaches this. The Bible says you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. The Bible says... Uh, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, now listen, regenerated, renewed, begotten, which were born, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God, right? And so, that was John chapter 1, verse, uh, I believe, 12. As many as received him, in verse 13. And it tells you about that. And it says, of his own will begat he us. God is the author of salvation. We're begotten because God wills it that we be begotten through the Word. And that those that hear the Word and believe it are going to be begotten again unto uh, a new life. And it's God's will that the one that, you know, Second Peter 3, 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it is of God, isn't it? Begotten through the Word. Didn't Jesus say much the same thing when he said in John 5, 24, listen carefully. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. See? Of his own will begat he us through the word of truth. By the word of truth. So you hear the word. He that heareth my word and believeth, the word takes, it has a, a life-giving effect and the faith is produced Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. So heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He's been renewed, he's been regenerated, he's been born again. So the instrument is the word of God. Let me give you something in Mark chapter 4 to show you. Uh, verse 2, he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them, in his doctrine, in his teaching. Mark 4, verse 2, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some uh, fell on stony ground. This is the seed, fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some an hundredfold. And he saith unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, they were they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Now, Jesus was wanting those that wanted to be in tune with a spiritual ear to hear and understand. Now, if you want to hear, God will give you the understanding. But see, some people don't want to hear, and he says, well, if they don't want to hear, uh, I'll close their ears and I'll close their eyes, and they won't understand. It's up to you whether or not you want this seed to be sown. And it says, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Verse 13, and he said unto them, know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? 
Now then, here's the interpretation of what he said. The sower soweth the word. What is the seed then? If the sower sows the word, the seed is the word, right? And it says, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. That's like the fowls of the air that comes and catches away the word. Now then, you can sow the, the seed here in the church, and it's really... It falls on various kinds of hearts. If it's a wayside here, it's a hard-hearted person. And maybe the seed is sown there, and it's right on, laying on his heart, but he won't give it any root. And he goes out, and then the, the devil starts plucking it apart, and he says, You know what I heard Brother Joyce or Brother Randy down there preach this morning, or uh, Sunday night or Wednesday night? And the devil starts picking it apart and says, Well, so he's stolen away the word. And it'll have no effect. He says, Satan will take it away. And then it says, and these are they like, likewise that are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. The stones, picture the ground with just stony ground. And have no root in themselves. Can't get any root where all the rocks are, can it? And so endure but for a time. It just comes up a little bit of dirt there, and it comes up a little bit. And it says, Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Now then, if the thorn, the ground is thorny ground, and it won't give way to good earth, it's not sown on good ground, the thorns are going to choke it. You know, this is always a great lesson to me to know that, that when there's thorny ground and the seed of God's word is sown, and people let it choke out the word by worldliness and, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in. Choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. It'll never bear any fruit. See? That's what happens to a lot of people. They'll come to church and they'll, they'll say, well, I want to give it a chance. But their hearts are like stony hearts or thorny hearts, we'll call them. Thorns. Among thorns. They don't want to give up the world and the lust of other things. And they say, well, I can just... Just sit and straggle the fence. No, you can't do that. It's either going to take root in your heart and it's going to grow and there's going to be some, some fruit or it's just going to be smothered out and choked out. And there are many people today that have come to church, the house of God from time to time, and their hearts have been like either the wayside or the rocky hearts or the stony hearts or the thorn hearts. And it just, the seed has a certain effect but then it's choked out by worldliness or deceitfulness of other things, the lust of other things, and it never becomes fruitful. But now the last one, and it says, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundredfold. The good ground is a good heart receiver. You have the parable in Matthew and Luke as well that explains the same thing. But I took the short version in Mark. Mark shortens it all. The other is more elaborate. But what I'm saying is, when you deal with this subject, you have to realize that the seed is the Word of God. Now that it has to be sown on good hearts, doesn't it? It has to be received. And by faith, the Word comes, and it's received. The instrument is the Word. Now let's get back to James. Our time is getting away, and I want to get a lot further than I am. James, it says in verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. 
If the word of God is the subject, then he needs to be swift to hear the word of God, right? Swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. You know, we need to be more dedicated in hearing the word, more anxious to hear the word, and more determined to hear the word, and more slow to express flippant type of opinions or expressions. And speak things that don't amount to very much. And we're all guilty of that. We have to watch it because, you know, the psalmist set a, set a, a watch before the doors of my lips. We taught that Wednesday night, right? We were teaching, teaching about the lips. I have to set a watch before the doors of my mouth. So that's what we have to have. But uh, we need to be swift to hear the word of God. And you know, more uh, there's more people today, including Christians, that are... Slow to hear the word of God. We need to be swift to hear the word of God and, and slow to speak and slow to rest. Have you ever thought why God gave us two ears and only one mouth? Huh? We ought to put about twice as much attention to hearing the word and less speaking out something. Now, if you're speaking out the word, it's a different story. But you see the, the proportion and the essential. So, God wants us to be swift to hear. Now, a lot of people are swift to hear everything but the Word, right? They want to hear every gossip and everything that goes around so they can turn around and tell it. they got big ears for that. But little ears and small ears and very little attention for the Word of God. People today uh, are just as guilty as in uh, James's day when he was talking about it. And he says, and slow to wrath. We need to be slow to wrath. What about wrath itself? We're, we're to be angry and sin not, the Bible says. There is, a, there is a wrath, there is an anger that is not sin. There's much anger that is sin. But you ought to be angry at uh, evil and sin and iniquity, at Satan and all of his powers and all of the evil works of the devil. But it says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So be slow to wrath. For the wrath of man, just any wrath, worketh not the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. It says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. The word naughtiness means wickedness. Lay aside all the wickedness. Now look. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Look at this. It says, lay aside, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and the word naughtiness really means wickedness, and receive with meekness. Desire to hear the word. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. The word needs to become engrafted and be a part of you. Let it become an essential part of you, which is able to save your souls. We're not talking about saving the sinner. We're talking about, did you know this has to do with the saints? In other words, here is salvation for the saved. A lot of people uh, think this is salvation for the lost. No, this is salvation for the saved that we're talking about. The saved need to be saved. You say, well, preacher, I don't understand that. You were saved from the penalty of sin when you were born again, regenerated back there. But his own will begat us with the word of truth. We were begotten, and then we were saved. And now it tells us, Look at the word, verse 19, wherefore, that connects us with the fact, see verse 19, wherefore, 
with the fact that we have been begotten of his own will, begatting us with the word of truth, verse 18, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And we have been begotten already. And because we have been begotten, he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, look, verse 19, these are the things you're to do. And he tells us what we're to do. Be swift to hear the word, be slow to speak, be slow to wrath. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, here again, look at the word again, wherefore. Because of this, because you are born again, because you should be this kind of a person, then you're to lay aside all wickedness and receive with meekness. So he's talking to Christians. See, sometimes we miss the point when we're trying to apply things. You know, we switch over and say, here's a lost man and here's a saved man. Here's a lost man and here's a saved man. The subject is how we were saved, right? We were begotten with the word of truth. The subject is then, after being begotten by the word, receiving that same word to develop our lives as Christians. Receiving that same word, and it says, Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now then, your souls, it doesn't mean in this sense that your soul, the penalty of your sin is still resting upon you. But your, your life as a Christian, you know, sometimes the word soul pertains to life as well, or your life as a Christian as well as the salvation of your uh, spirit or your soul. In fact, most of the time when you find the scripture in the New Testament, it has reference to your life. Uh, just like when Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his life or lose his own soul? Now then, we know that that if you're not saved, that the, that you're going to perish eternally. But also, he does not want you to uh, be seeking the, the whole world and lose your own life. Not only life eternal, but life here and now. And so this verse has to do, really, basically, of the salvation for the saved. And it's talking about that your life is going to be saved, it's going to be sanctified, it's going to be set apart to God by hearing the word. And that's the essence of this whole passage of Scripture. If you'll notice down in verse 18, we passed over it briefly, but it says, Of his own will begat he us uh, with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So he's telling us that we were begotten in order that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures, that we belong to him. Back in the Old Testament, let me give you this quickly. Back in the Old Testament, when they take the sheep of the first fruits of the grain or whatever and bring it in and wave it before the Lord, the priest would wave it before the Lord, presenting this to the Lord, it was a promise that that harvest out there in the field was dedicated to God. That when they begin to, to, to take in that harvest, well, they were going to dedicate all of this to God. Now then, it says, Of his own will begat he us, if we're begotten and born again, then he says, with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He wants us then, from then on, to be dedicated to God. You see, God didn't just save us to be our own and be ourselves. Once he saved us, we belonged to him. It says, you're bought with a price. You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The, the redemptive price was paid. And the means of our salvation and the instrument of it is the Word of God. And so, 
God doesn't just save you just to keep you out of an eternal burning hell. He saves you to dedicate you to Himself. And that you might be sanctified and set apart unto Him. So you're saved to be His. He's got a claim on us. We belong to God. I'm glad we belong to God. If you think you belong to yourself, you're mistaken. Because you don't belong to yourself. The Bible says you are not your own. You are bought with a price. So if you're not your own, whose are you? Well, if you're, if you're born again, you're a child of God. You belong to Him. And so it says that we should might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. The first fruits recognizes that all of it belongs to God. And you know, you and I need to recognize that, that He begat us. He brought us forth so that we would be His possession. The same word that begats the sinner. We were begotten when we were sinners, right? When we were dead in trespass and sin, begotten again with the word of truth. The same word that begats the sinner sanctifies the saint. Sets us apart and sanctifies us. We're talking about the word of God. You know, let me give you something quickly. Uh, John chapter 15 and verse 3. John 15 and verse 3. Notice what it says here. It says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So what does it do? It cleanses and sanctifies the believer. Now then, back in John 17, turn on over a few verses. In verse 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus was talking here about his own. Remember, the, the whole context is that of his that uh, the Father has given him out of the world. In verse 6, he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. He goes on down in verse 14. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 15, he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. He's talking about his own, those that belong to him. And then he says in verse 17, sanctify them who? Believers, right? Through thy word. Thy word is truth. So the same word that begets the sinner unto salvation sanctifies the saint. In Ephesians chapter 5, you want to turn there. Verse 24, 25, 26, and 27. It says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it. Now look, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with what? With the washing of water by the word. The cleansing effect of the word. We've already studied the generative power of the word, haven't we? By being begotten. And now we see the cleansing or purifying power of the word is this illustrated. By the, the water. The washing of water by the word. When we come to the next subject, and by the way, we're not going to get into it tonight. Our time is about gone. But when we get to uh, that point, uh, point of blessing through doing, we're going to talk about the revealing power of the Word, how it reveals our sinfulness. But see, we've already seen the generated power of His own will begat He us. So let's rehearse this again briefly. Our time is just about gone, but look at it again. 
And drop back to verse uh, 18. It says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. The gospel was believed. It was preached. It was received. It was believed. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the reason we're begotten, now look, verse 18, keep your eyes on the scripture, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we belong to him. And he sanctifies us. He sets us apart to himself. And he wants us to be the first fruits unto himself. You know, of first fruits, it says we could go on with this. But look, another point of, of the first fruits is this. That Christ, it says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So you can apply, apply that to the future. I love this part because we've already been talking about a grain of wheat and how that when it goes into the ground and it dies and there's nothing, there's nothing about it that appears to be living. You ever seen that old dry grain of wheat just rolling around? There's nothing about it that appears that it could ever be alive. So it's thrown into the ground. The farmer plows the earth on top, sows it with a with a the sowing machine. It sows, it sows the seed, and it's sown in the ground. And then what? Drilled into the ground in little rows, and it dies. And out of that death comes life. And it brings forth, sometimes that one grain of wheat will go up and it'll have some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. You'll have several heads of wheat on that one little grain. A whole cluster, a whole crop of wheat there. And that's the best way I know to illustrate. Well, someone says, well, when a Christian dies, when a child of God dies, all that you have out here in the grave is, is a dead body. Corruption sets in, nothing left but a pile of bones. And out of that, God's going to bring life. Just as sure, he says, Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. And so out of that, the, there's, there's living seed there. Some, you say, well, I can't see it. Could, could you see it in the wheat? I couldn't see it in the wheat grain either, could you? But it's there. I can't see it in the dead body of a Christian. But the Bible says that now... Is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? And it says, as by one man there came death, so by the second Adam comes the resurrection. And it says, Christ, they that are Christ at his coming, they'll be resurrected. And so the dead in Christ shall rise. He's going to give that miraculous, mysterious life to that body which is dead. He explains it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You just don't understand what it's talking about unless you read it and look at it. But it says, uh, let me read something for you. Verse 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If Christ didn't was not the first fruits. But it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. By the first man came death. By the second Adam came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ that is coming. They that are Christ that is coming. And so that's what we look forward to. And this is the believer's hope. 
There's no other scripture in the world or there's no other book in the world other than God's revelation to man. There's no other religion in the world that can promise this and there's no other Savior that can promise this other than Jesus Christ who died and was buried and rose again the third day and that His resurrection is the first fruits in the sense that He is not only the sample of the harvest to come of souls that will be raised, but He is the proof of it and the guarantee of it. Just because He was, is risen from the dead, He guarantees our resurrection. You know, it, it's a difficult thing for human beings for us to sit around here and think about death and about eternity and say, well, how is God going to do all that? He's going to do it just like He's done everything, by miraculous, wonderful power and by His great promise of His Word and by the guarantee that Christ has given us in that he is the example of it himself. So when that man took the sheaf of the first fruit of grain of the field and he came in and he waved it before the Lord, the priest would wave it before the Lord, it was not only a sample and an example of the harvest that was to come, but a guarantee of it that it was dedicated to God. And Christ being the first fruits is not only the sample and specimen of our resurrection, but the guarantee of our resurrection. And I'm, I'm glad we have the living Word of God, the Word of God that promises us all these things. We're not going to have time to get into the second point of this lesson tonight that I wanted, I had in mind of covering, but we'll take it up in our next lesson. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. So we thank you for your kind attention, and let's uh, stand together for prayer at this time.